Welcome back to part two of Nothing Never Happens. This episode is on pretext and cultural agents with Professors Doris Summer and Viola Hartfield Mendez. We're going to pick back up on this idea of tangents and also the specifics of what pretext looks like in the classroom. Which means from one workshop to the next, bring in something printed. It can be downloaded from internet as well, but it has to be text, not just a visual. Bring something printed that has something to do with the text we're all reading together. Yeah. And so when we post that on the clothesline, everyone mm -hmm. recognizes all of the various interests that we have collected in the room, and we ask each other questions about the clothesline. Yeah. So going off on a tangent looks like chaos, mm -hmm. but what it does is show relevance we don't have to look for the relevance yeah. of a text. We don't have to look for empowerment. We don't have to look for citizenship. Mm -hmm. It's all there, and we call yeah. it in a kind of uh, wink to authority. Let people go off on tangents. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, because that's where you find something new. That's where the discovery happens. Um, and, and, and it's not one person with the capital T truth, but there are a lot of truths. Mm -hmm. um, and so I want to I wanna talk a little bit about what happens in the classroom, but how it's affected by the world, because mm -hmm. it's the work of art in the world and how the world comes in and the classroom goes out and there's a, these intersections that are also chaotic, but uh, highly fruitful. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, uh, I just taught a class where my students were uh, part part of what they had to do in the course was to learn how to lead a pretext workshop. So we modeled uh, pretext at the beginning of the course, and then uh, in pairs they were charged with uh, mm -hmm. coming up with a with a, a, a pretext activity uh, that would engage whatever text we were about to read next, and. Uh, mm -hmm. At the end of the course, the comments that I read, I asked them to do some reflection about about the course and about the pretext work specifically. Yeah. And uh, new, several of the students actually said that it helped them that working in this way around the topic, which was the the U.S.-Mexican border, mm -hmm. that working in this way in the course allowed them to actually engage with that topic outside the course mm -hmm. in really productive ways. Yeah. So my sense is that that's what we are supposed to be doing as, as professors, as teachers, as scholars, yeah. scholar teachers, uh, that we're, we're supposed to have students have the experience of being empowered to go and engage with the world. Mm -hmm. Can you tell Tina, please, about um, the collaboration that you're doing with uh, Barbara mm -hmm. and um, and Johannes and other people here at Emory. Sure. So there's a, a program called Graduation Generation. Uh, that's a K through 12 dropout prevention program that Emory uh, has as a right. partnership with Atlanta Public Schools and Barbara mm -hmm. Coble 
Dr. Coble is the um, partnership management uh, manager for Graduation Generation, and she uh, does some really wonderful work uh, engaging Emory students mm -hmm. in this program. And there is a summer enrichment program that they're working with through Harper okay. Archer uh, Middle School. Okay. And they've been using pretexts uh, in mm. that work. And uh, it's really fairly extraordinary, um, in part because it's hard work. It's really mm -hmm. difficult yeah. to convince the partners that we're working with that this is a good idea, first of all. The teachers mm -hmm. who are trying to run a literacy program in the summertime for the students, and they've yeah. run it this way, a particular way, all along. And then mm -hmm. now they need to think about a new and different way of doing this. <laughs> So that's hard work. It's hard work to get the middle school kids sort of focused, um, and yet they do, and they have a lot of fun, and they eventually do a lot of the, the work that, that Doris is describing, this kind of appreciation of each other's work, engaging mm -hmm. with the text, going back to the text, asking really important questions of the text. And the Emory students are learning also to be leaders and facilitators, but also learning from the middle school students, learning yeah. things that they would never have ever mm -hmm. um, thought to observe. Uh, they wouldn't have known to ask the questions that they mm -hmm. then begin to ask, right? Yeah. So that, that work has been really um, important, I think, in, for, for everybody involved in mm -hmm. beginning to understand how if we change the kaleidoscope just mm -hmm. a little bit, mm -hmm. yeah. you will see a different picture. Yeah. <laughs> it's That's just about changing the kaleidoscope. And then they're engaging uh, with systems, uh, yes. such as, as Jonathan Kozel has, has outlined in The Shame of the Nation, the resegregation of public schools exactly. in America, and Harper Archer being, you know, one, one of, of the, those, those examples. Okay, so I, I, I want to just spend another moment mm -hmm. uh, about Barbara's work. Yeah. You were at the training a year ago. Yes. Uh, and Barbara was there too. And mm -hmm. Barbara expressed some concern about the loose structure mm -hmm. of pretext. And when she went to the um, Harper Archer School um, to do the summer work, which is mm -hmm. a difficult moment because kids basically do what they want. Mm -hmm. uh, she wasn't quite sure where this was going. She yeah. knew she had to let it develop in ways that she wouldn't mm. have predicted that morning. And a year later, uh, she had a meeting with the director of that summer program and the principal of the school because they wanted to expand the program and that was a financial issue and they had to meet together. Okay. And when the principal um, asked what the results were from mm -hmm. the previous year. I, I hope I'm getting yeah, this. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, the, uh, the director of the program said, well, we canvassed the, the, um, the teenagers to see what they wanted to do in the summer, mm -hmm. and they could have three choices. The first choice for most of them was swimming. It was the summer, mm -hmm. they wanted to swim. The second choice was the literacy program. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm. That was not going to happen just anyway. It happened yeah. because yeah. of the work last year that those students experienced. Yeah. 
Yeah, so a new way of, of reimagining student learning outcomes, right? And, yes. And here, pleasure is so important. Mm -hmm. You know, we asked them, they were asked, what do you want to do? And we don't give enough credit to the importance of pleasure. Uh, this is one thing that I, uh, that I mentioned this morning. We've been learning from neuroscience for the last 20 years mm -hmm. that, that pleasure is a necessary component of deep learning. We know that, yeah. and we haven't taken it seriously enough. Mm -hmm. So this is a place where pleasure and good learning came bubbling up. Yeah, uh, that's uh, yeah, that is uh, just a major victory, I mm -hmm. think, for pretexts here between Emory and the community. Um, it it makes me very very. Uh, proud to be with uh, with these leaders. Yeah. So engage scholarship mm -hmm. yes. uh, that we've been talking about, but also imagining collaborations with community yes. partners yeah. uh, for the long haul and uh, through pleasure. Yeah. And high order reading. Mm -hmm. High order yeah. reading. We don't dumb anything yeah. down. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Completely. But the systems are, are entrenched in a different way of um, reviewing and assessing. And this kind of blows that out of out of the water in some ways. Um, yes, and one of the things that we're uh, uh, working on in the Center for, for Faculty Development and Excellence is actually rethinking this assessment question. Yeah, uh, and it's yeah. Uh, in conjunction again with Imagining America, but a lot of other people are thinking about how do you mm -hmm. uh, rethink what you are assessing. And so, if mm -hmm. you're assessing a community partnership. It, you know, you need to ask what it is that your goals were mm -hmm. and, and what are the things that actually make that partnership work. Collaboration, you know, reciprocity. Yeah. Yes. But also, very importantly, generativity. Mm -hmm. yeah. And generativity is really hard to measure because you don't know, you can't predict what will be generated. You can only predict that there yeah. will be generativity, yes? Yes. But you can measure that there was, and you can, you can measure what happened, and you can look at what happened and trace it back to something that happened mm -hmm. previously. Um, but we, ought, we really have to rethink assessment uh, yeah. in order to be able to understand what we're doing here. And one of the criteria that I would like to see and that we've been putting in, um, into our own um, instruments for measurement is mm -hmm. desire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Desire, pleasure, these are, these are terms that don't sound academic, but if you get uh, a result from teenagers that say, we want to read, oh, yeah. that's, that's, a, um, that's a victory that needs to be registered in an assessment. Yeah, absolutely. For yeah. sure. Yeah, so um, generativity is, is a core uh, concept from Paulo Freire. Uh, so, what would Freire say about pretext? Um, how would Freire challenge what you're doing? Do you think? I mean, where you know you've gone so far with this, you've you've broken new ground. What are the what are the next challenges? What are the next steps? The next vision for for future work? Well, we've we've been asking ourselves that, but I want to um, just mention. Um, mm -hmm a piece of the conversation that we started even yesterday and mm -hmm. it's it's one of the lessons that I've learned from from my my partners and leaders here in Emory uh, and what we learned from Freire is um, 
a, a spirit of flexibility and self-criticism and, and experimentation, right? Mm -hmm. he, um, he encouraged us all to teach reading and writing even when mm -hmm. that seemed like an elitist activity to some educators because mm -hmm. when you read and write and read again what you've written, you are deepening and criticizing yourself and refining yeah. and learning new things. So it's in that spirit that I want to say, I mean, I don't know what Fade mm -hmm. would say about any of this, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to be a, um, yeah. a loyal disciple and say it's all about self-criticism and learning from experience and from your friends. And what we've learned from our friends in Emory is that it's very important in the process of implementing pretexts and pro projecting mm -hmm. more generativity mm -hmm. uh, to engage student interns, student um, helpers, uh, TAs, uh, fellows, as support systems for the group of newly trained facilitators who should meet once a week, who should visit each other's workshops, we should organize family events. Those are the three activities that um, should follow with implementation, and mm -hmm. um, and we call the coordinator for those activities a weaver. A weaver mm -hmm. is one of the people who's been newly trained, who convenes meetings, sets up schedules, yeah. makes sure that the families come mm -hmm. to. But to have a student intern as a support for the weaver is mm -hmm. going to be um, much more important for all of us outside of Emory. It's already happening here because mm -hmm. it's a way of continuing to offer support indirectly yeah. to our partners outside. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's that's a kind of stage of learning that I'm mm -hmm. appreciating here. I'm also um, appreciating <laughs> the, the inquiry into interdisciplinary work and especially yeah. how um, texts that are well-wrought text, well-written, mm -hmm. uh, but are from different fields, can be the object of a pretext workshop, right? So we're, we're actually yeah. thinking about this right now. Um, and, you know, in the course that I taught, I actually used essays. So it was, it's not just, mm -hmm. you know, what we think of as literary text necessarily that can yeah. spark these kind, this kind of learning experience. It's all kinds of text if they're well written, if mm -hmm. they're, if they call to you, if they inspire you in some yeah. in some way, or they challenge you. Mm -hmm. But aren't there multiple texts here? As as you yeah. say, with pretext, you start with the text of the self. Right, the story and experience of the learner and the teacher and the community and the context and spiral all around. I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't. And um, this goes back mm -hmm. to something that Viola said too. We want to find texts that are well written, mm. um, that we think students should have access mm -hmm. to, even if they. Uh, seemed indifferent or uh, resentful of the text. Mm -hmm. There is something called cultural capital that I take very seriously. Yeah. Uh, a poor uh, child who knows how to cite anything in Shakespeare or something in Dante uh, 
feels mm-hmm. much more empowered mm-hmm. in uh, a mixed group of people than someone who doesn't. Yeah. If, if you can say why you hate Don Quixote, it's very different than saying I mm-hmm. don't want to read Don Quixote. Yeah. So I start from text. Mm-hmm. And I start from text for that reason, and also because it's an indirect entree to one's personal story. Mm-hmm. If you ask a question about Don Quixote, you're asking a question from your experience and your passions and your fears. Yeah. And so, and uh, there's no way not to make the engagement mm-hmm. personal and revelatory. Mm-hmm. But it's safe. You can control yeah. it. Yeah. When, when um, children and youth and everyone else who are victims of trauma are invited to talk about their lives, yeah. that can be oh, yeah. damaged. A- absolutely. So yeah. I personally, I mean, pretext is a basket, everybody pulls mm-hmm. different things out of it. Yeah. But for me, it's very productive, both intellectually and mm-hmm. in a socio-emotional uh, context, to start from the text mm-hmm. and to let users uh, decide how much to reveal, how yeah. much to be coy about, mm-hmm. how to play uh, with the text, to continue to be uh, in the role of artist and not victim. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And so, uh, so one of the things that you ask um, in the pretext work is, um, you know, what is what is the imaginative entry point for the the reader um, and the the student to en- who engages the text. Um, so, what are the kinds of things that you've seen in and learned from uh, these processes at Harper Archer or at Harvard Emory um, that have that have helped you rethink or retune uh, the pretext or put another thing in the basket? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so every time I've done a workshop and we've done one together, uh, there are activities that emerge from the group. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, I have recycled those really great ideas mm-hmm. <laughs> that have come from somebody else that I would never have thought of myself in mm-hmm. my own uh, proposal for a pretext uh, activity. So that yeah. that in itself, I think, is kind of part of the critical mm-hmm. um, structure of pretext that you. Yeah. It is a constant recycling. It is a constant, not not so mm-hmm. much recycling, but a constant learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And yet, there is this very simple protocol. This is what I was saying to this Great. morning. It's, it's a very simple protocol that, um, in what we were saying this morning, is it's not, it's not a box. It's not, you don't have to mm-hmm. fit within this box, but rather yeah. it's like a structure and you can hang, we can hang our things on it. <laughs> right? I love that. That's <laughs> yeah. Cool. And yeah. it really, and, and once you've put the structure out there, people do put their things on it. Like a clothesline. <laughs> like okay. a clothesline, yes. And, uh, and those things are very valuable. And uh, the way of, mm-hmm. and sometimes students especially will bring other uh, processes that they've experienced in their um, residence life, you know, 
mm-hmm. activities or whatever, and they'll they'll think, oh well, we'll just do this activity that we already know how to do, and then I will say, well, how does that get you back to the text? And then they have to rethink yeah. the whole thing, and they'll come up with something really interesting to do. Mm-hmm. And it's informed by maybe some other activity that they did previously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's very much informed then by them thinking about the text yeah. and doing a close reading mm-hmm. of the text. I, I want to um, give one example of this about what I've learned from other people playing with pretexts. Because it's in the DNA to keep learning. That's why yeah. facilitators don't get bored. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you're going to come up with, you know, you don't know what someone else is going to come up with. Yeah. But it's all, as Viola just said, all in function of the text, so it's a challenge for all of us. One great idea that I learned was from a professor of animation at um, mm-hmm. a university in Bogota, Colombia. Yeah, he said, the kids who come to study with me, they're you know, 17, 18 year olds, who know how to draw and who like technology. Mm-hmm. And when I ask them what, what they're going to make their movie about, they say, I don't know. And, you know, they don't read, they don't do investigations, um, so they don't have a clue about what they're going to use as a narrative mm-hmm. for their animation. And he said, when he came back, and this was always a challenge for him, when he came back from a pretext workshop, that a capacity builder in Bogota ran, because we have capacity builders okay. in various cities. Um, he looked at these bored teenagers and said, all right, everybody, what are the books that you hated in high school? And they generated a long list. Uh-huh. And the four biggest losers became the targets of attack for four teams. Mm. And each of the other teams, each of three teams, had to give a crit for the fourth. So it meant that in one semester, everyone in the classroom read four classics. They read El Cid. They read Mm -hmm. Don Quixote, Uh the first half. Mm -hmm. They read La Celestina. They read La Voragine. They read great books. Mm -hmm. They may still hate those books, (laughs) but they will tell you why. Yeah, and they are intellectuals, and so what I learned, and that's why I'm bold now and say that I don't mind saying I run on resentment as well, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, we're women. Some of us didn't go to private schools for all of our mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. Some of us are immigrants. Mm-hmm. We know what resentment is. It doesn't have to block mm-hmm. us. It can be a fuel, yeah. and that and that's where I learned the power of resentment as a fuel because mm. those kids read well <laughs> and yeah. they did very funny movies hmm. and we don't have to talk students out of being angry mm-hmm. we can say you hate Shakespeare me too what are you going to do with it <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so that taking a risk mm-hmm. in order to create which is a frere concept too right um, yes so how does this um, go from, you know, you've got the classroom, you've got other structures at universities, uh, such as departments and divisions and, you know, deans, academic deans and provosts and, and this, that, and the other. So how has anyone been doing any work, uh, uh, 
kind of seeing beyond in individual classrooms to mm -hmm. actual department structures and department works where students are also co-creators and deciders. Well, here I do want Viola to talk okay. because she's the expert. She's a magician. I want to say about pretext at Harvard that it's part of a certificate program for mm -hmm. teaching fellows yeah. at the Derek Box Center for Teaching and Learning. Mm -hmm. And the HILT project, which is a bigger project on Harvard Initiative for Learning and Teaching, mm -hmm. uh, wants to get pretext to be mm -hmm. the through thread for lots of projects. Nice. But, yeah. um, but well, so. It, it is the case that pretext is uh, that it works in lots of different settings. Mm -hmm. And the reason it works in lots of different settings is because uh, all the voices are heard, and there's an mm -hmm. um, there's a real intentionality around uh, everyone in the room making sure that all the voices are heard. Yeah. Right, yeah. and so uh, very in, important uh, emphasis on listening mm -hmm. and powerful listening. Mm -hmm. And so, in that sense, it it, it uh, accomplishes a lot of things. It doesn't really matter which kind of setting you're in. Mm -hmm. So, at Emory, we've um, this past semester in the in the Center for Faculty Development and Excellence, and collaborating with another uh, cam uh, campus organization we created what we call the university learning community. But it was, it included faculty, staff, students, and community partners. Okay. And it was focused on the Beaufort Highway corridor and uh, was also organized thematically around the idea of art and social transformation. And so we actually kicked off the first retreat meeting of about 23 people mm. in many different roles with a pretext activity. Mm -hmm. And that allowed us to then be almost immediately yeah. a cohesive group and to yeah. understand where we were together, right? Mm -hmm. I've also done a, a pretext demonstration for the faculty council here at Emory, mm -hmm. for the university faculty council. And it was a demonstration of pedagogy, but it was also an experience, mm -hmm. right? It was an experience that the faculty council would had never, ever yeah. Had anything yeah. like that, right? Yeah. Um, and 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 yeah, there's there are pockets of resistance. There's pockets of questioning. And again, it was a kind of a taste of it, so it's really difficult to get uh, mm -hmm. to the full experience. And yet, um, at the end of that experience, of about an hour and mm -hmm. fifteen minutes or so, uh, the person who the faculty member who had been kind of most reticent in that mm -hmm. process mm -hmm. said. Well, I'm not sure about this as pedagogy, but we should probably have something like this at every beginning of the year for the faculty council so we'll get to know each other. Oh, interesting. But <laughs> so, that's a start. That's a start. Now, it's a really important thing, to, I think, for universities at all levels to actually mm -hmm. rethink what the relationships, how the relationships uh, exist. Mm -hmm. uh, among faculty members, between faculty members and administrators, yeah. among administrators and between all of those people and the students. And, uh, you know, this kind of approach is a way to get at those conversations without actually saying, well, we're going to break it all up and we're going to reinvent. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, it's a journey. Right? It's yeah. a journey. Uh, yeah, and so um, you're challenging the status quo and the dominant ideology uh, of how administration, faculty, I mean, the, the whole mm -hmm. system of higher education, right? Uh, I, I want to step back a mm -hmm. bit and say that it may seem like a challenge, mm -hmm. but it's in fact a, a taking seriously and a good faith gesture yeah. regarding what democracy means, mm -hmm. exactly what leadership means now in professional schools. Mm -hmm. If you talk mm -hmm. to people in business schools, mm -hmm. in government schools, in public health, leadership means facilitation. Yes. Yeah. Nobody is talking about authority That's as right. a style of leadership anymore. So if we don't want to be laggards and you know stay stuck mm -hmm. as professors, yeah. as academic professors, if we really understand what the development of a philosophy of leadership is, mm -hmm. this is it. Yeah. So I'm, I don't think we're challenging anybody. I think we're actually making good on lessons that we learn from colleagues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Taking it seriously, taking our citizenship in the, in the, mm -hmm. what we would hope would be a democracy. Sometimes it's not, right? But so. but even in the practical fields of business and money making, yeah, and law, and government, mm -hmm. no one is talking about leadership in any other terms, but facilitation. Mm -hmm. You are a good leader because you can count on the contributions of a working group. Mm -hmm. Okay? Now, yeah. that's an important lesson. Yeah. And that is not a contestatory lesson today. Mm -hmm. It simply works. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I see pretexts as part of, of uh, a new philosophy of leadership. Yeah. Yeah, and the team building that that reticent faculty member New, exactly. it, it sparked that, right? It also requires uh, that at least some members of this community be what I have learned, this is a term from the business world, um, to be boundary spanners. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To be people who mm -hmm. can work on with one group and understand the language of that group, move over to a different group, understand the language of that mm -hmm. group, and actually kind of translate across those boundaries and be the person, the conduit. It, it yeah. requires that. Yeah. Antanas Mokos has a lovely essay that I think is translated mm -hmm. into English mm -hmm. called um, Cultural Amphibians. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So where are students in this whole journey of what we're talking about right now? Where do students come in? <clears throat> because I'm thinking right now, as we speak, Yale graduate teachers are in, what, week three, week four of a hunger fast and protest for um, uh, more democracy uh, and also more attention to the sexual harassment, which is at 54 percent, et cetera. And it's not just at Yale. It's you know, Harvard endemic. Harvard in the 60s. Wow. And so, you know, how, I mean, they're rising up. This is a grassroots movement um, that's, you know, linked with uh, Unite Here Union and 
Uh, but yet, you know, the president is refusing still to meet with them. But we're seeing these movements with faculty forward, with contingent faculty, and and other kinds of student movements, um, every campus a refuge, uh, living wage campaigns that Harvard certainly had um, many years ago, so, and Emory here mm -hmm. uh, with students getting arrested. I saw them right out in front of the mm -hmm. uh, administration building. So uh, these movements in our current time, and I, maybe this can be our last mm -hmm. thing that we talk about, is is you know in these times. Um, you know, these social movements that are coming from below. Um, you know, what are you seeing in, in terms of pretext, in, you know, engaging that moment or those moments? I feel as if Barbara Koppel here is my, hmm. um, my, my guiding spirit. Mm -hmm. You don't know what the exact result will be. You work with good faith, changing your own practice and engaging people through their own capacities and brilliance. Mm -hmm. You treat people uh, as artists and citizens and you wait for good results. Mm -hmm. And she got them. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure what the loop will look like with some of my students. I know that a few of them have told me that they've had successful job interviews, mm -hmm. gotten jobs, uh, and during the interview their work with cultural agents and pretexts in particular was very significant. Mm -hmm. So I think that there yeah. are some departments and school administrations that are um, sensitive to these issues mm -hmm. and want young teachers who can uh, talk about colonial literature and also engage students democratically, but um, beyond that, I don't. I don't have. Um, students, when when you open up uh, the classroom experience in the way that pretext does, um, what they're going to bring to the table is themselves, and they're going to then also bring their concerns. So if they're uh, activist around sustainability, as one of my students was mm -hmm. this semester, she was going to bring that to the table. Yeah, That's what was going to happen. Uh, and so then I and other students learn a little bit more from that angle, right? So she, she her voice and her activism becomes part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. Uh, I think it's important yeah. uh, to understand that when when you do something like this that's that is opening up the conversation you're going you're going to uh, have present in the classroom and present in the university mm -hmm. and present in the academic circles and in present in yeah. in, in the academy yeah. right. things that you didn't ex you didn't know even were there mm -hmm. necessarily right yeah and that's mm -hmm. important to include those things um, and and if you don't you've actually kind of excised something yeah. from the academic experience that is um, that then makes people go away from the academy and do that yeah. outside the academy mm -hmm. as um, 
a kind of a mark of protest mm-hmm. <laughs> against the academy because it wasn't listening to you. Yeah. You know what you just made me think of? That we, we talked uh, at the beginning about uh, pretext coming into a wedge, uh-huh. right? right. Mm-hmm. I mean, your classroom is sacred space. You have the liberty to do a variety of things as long as you cover some material right. and develop some capacity in your students, right? So there's a wedge. But what you just taught me is that pretexts creates wedges mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. through the university mm-hmm. to let other issues come in. Mm-hmm. 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 It, I think that, I mean, certainly that was my experience this semester. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Any last words? Uh, last words. Um, I would like to dream. Mm-hmm. I'm in an area that knows how to dream big <laughs> on important issues. Yeah. I would like to dream with Viola, with you, with all of our colleagues mm-hmm. about a, um, a kind of education from pre-K throughout. Mm-hmm that um, encourages uh, the kinds of values that we talk about Mm -hmm. and uh, actually have been controlling in conventional education. My last word is uh, the memory of a conversation that I had with the director of English Language Learners Programs in Boston. She said, what breaks my heart is that interactive education, Freudian-style interactive education, mm-hmm. the way it's practiced in private mm-hmm. schools, in mm-hmm. Montessori schools, mm-hmm. in Waldorf schools, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is now a privilege of the rich mm-hmm. when it didn't develop that way and when it doesn't cost any more money yeah. than the conventional style. Mm-hmm. We need to stop that. Mm-hmm. It takes a political will. It doesn't take any more budget. Yeah. So that's the dream. Yeah, thanks. Diana? Um, I guess I would just say that um, in the last few years, I've learned to trust these mm. kinds of processes mm. a lot more. And so. Yeah. My dream would be that we would lean into these processes and trust them. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. you. This has been yeah. really enlightening. Well, thank you. For thank you. Oh, no. <laughs> what a good idea. I'm, I, I'm a tag along here. Are you kidding me? <laughs> not good. Not true. Well, not true. thank you so much. But thank you for your, yeah, thank really, you for your precise questions, your close. I learned about so this. much. This, this was is, such a pleasure. It was a real ah, pleasure. It was. It was a pleasure, and it's, it's my desire to <laughs> yeah, learn good, this good, stuff good, good, more good, and more. Good. Thank you so much. That concludes our conversation about pretext. Our music theme was composed by Aviva and the Flying Penguins orchestrated, arranged, and performed by Lance Eric Hagen. Today's episode was produced by Calvin Bergamy. Audio engineer is China Wilson, and I'm Tina Pippin, your host. Until next time, this is Nothing Never Happens. Mm
Do 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 do